Welcome to the Philocrosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. Let's do it. All right. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Philocrosophy Podcast. I am really excited to have Johns Hopkins head coach Tim McCormick back on the show. Tim, awesome to have you on, man. Um, how you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Thanks a lot for having me on. Really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, so good, man. Um, a lot, a lot has happened um over the course of this summer, you know, from from uh from an amazing season at ASU to getting the Hopkins job. Um, just give us the quick, quick recap on how life's, how life is and how fall ball is going at Hopkins. Yeah. Quick recap. Um, so moved, uh, moved the whole family across country. Um, and you know, you know what that entails. Uh, we decided to drive it. So that, that made it more fun. We got a chance to stop along the way and see some really cool places um, experienced those with my son, uh, my wife and my daughters and, uh, you know, made, made it out here successfully and, and right in the middle of recruiting. So, we're, you know, I'm constantly, I'm back I'm, I'm immediately on the road and going to try to find the next, um, you know, group of blue Jays. And, uh, it was really exciting, uh, time for us and, um, exciting transition. The support that we felt throughout it, uh, from the Hopkins community was off the charts, um, you know, and then getting here and wrapping up that recruiting season and starting uh, with with the current team, uh, as you mentioned, the fall ball just began. It's been it's been really, really fun, um, you know, to kind of lay this stuff out and really start to kind of build our brand and, um, you know, ha have some fun out there together. What is the Blue Jay brand? The Blue Jay brand. Um, it's predicated on a few different things. I'd say the, the first one is um, growth, uh, you know, understanding that this is a journey about progress and um, no one's going to be perfect while they do it. But, uh, you know, if we can get better each and every day, that's kind of what we're trying to do. Um, fun. I think those are hand in glove. If you're getting better, you're actually going to have more fun. I, I look at it like, why, why did we all start playing this game to begin with? Right. And the bottom line is, if you really think about it, you picked up a stick and you couldn't do anything with it. And then you learned how to kind of cradle. And then you figured out that you can throw it off a wall or propel it forward. And then it, you know, lent itself to behind the backs and backhands and all the creative stuff that we love to do in the game. But there was a constant um, steady progress throughout the course of that time. So I think th they're tied together, um, progress and fun, um, you know, and then freedom, you know, allowing players to actually make plays, um, go out there, be themselves and, um, you know, be the people who are actually steering the ship and not looking to the sideline for everything that they need. We have an overarching goal that, uh, this thing lasts four years and we get that, you know, so we want to provide an environment that our young women will, will not only grow as players, as I mentioned, but grow as humans and, and be the best um, future employees and be the best future, 
wives or mothers or whatever their lives takes them. Um, it, we're setting them up for all those successes. Yeah. My, um, my daughter said, you know, played for you at ASU. And um, she always said that you guys made it a point to make practice the best part of the day. Um, you know, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you know, I feel as if as a staff, we sit down in the office after a practice and we didn't accomplish that we failed the day. Um, there's a few ways that you can do that. Uh, I, I think first and foremost, you have to have a pulse of, of the team. Uh, you have to kind of know what, uh, what things they need to hear, what things they need to, to do to, to keep it engaging, to keep it fun, um, but to also compete and get better. So, um, you know, a couple of really minor things. We, we allow music at practice. That's a small thing, but that's, you know, it, it helps make it enjoyable. <laughs> um, you know, and, and uh, we allow mistakes to happen. You know, we don't, we don't over, uh, overanalyze or pick apart every single decision that was made throughout the course of the practice. We simply, um, you know, create an environment that mistakes can happen and um, they're going to, and we can retroactively look at each one and decide if it was the best one or if there was a different one that might've been better. Um, but there's no use in the moment to, um, you know, overdo anything like that. These, these young women have been playing this game long enough that they know um, where the mistake was made. I think those are some things that really kind of lend itself to making a fun, enjoyable um, practice. And then, you know, listening, listening is crucial. Uh, if, if we're getting feedback, uh, constant feedback, and we're not actually taking it, but we're continuing to just go in one direction and do our own thing, you know, you may never have any progress or growth. So we, we are always listening and we are always taking the pulse of the group. I would say that your, um, philosophy, you know, sort of centered in like the constraints, led approach and free play, the way that, you know, you, you talk about decision-making, but the way you, the way you approach principles-based offense and principles-based defense actually really creates a lot of joy in playing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, you know, we, we prioritize, uh, number one, above all, uh, decision-making. I believe if, if you look at this sport or pretty much all sports, it comes down to a you know, accumulation of decisions. And if you can make the, if you can make better ones than, than your opponent more often than not, you're going to be successful. Um, so we pride ourselves in making more decisions per practice than any team in the country. Uh, I, I think that we could probably make more decisions in an hour practice than some teams can make in three, uh, you know, and, and with that um, it's, it's what you discussed, right? So it's, it's making sure that we're using our time and space properly um we have bodies actually on field um playing the sport rather than standing or watching um and then we're we're providing these uh these little learning environments that they are figuring out how to make these decisions and reads uh in the in the true gameplay um so i think when you take that kind of approach and you avoid, um, you know, rolling out the cones and, and having players run to spots and, 
and practice uh, split dodging, um, empty space, or uh, you know, working on inside rolls. Um, it, you know, it's it's a lot less enjoyable. To your point, it, it becomes a lot more uh, fun and engaging when you're actually making the reads in real time and making the decisions. And it's something that we put a heavy premium on. You know, I think when people think of decision making. They think of, well, was that a good pass or not? Or, you know, should I have shot that or not? But decision-making is literally everything you do. It's every skill that you employ. It is that inside rule. It is that split dog. Yeah. And it's the decision as to not only what to do, but when to do it and how to set it up. And these decisions, there's a series of them that go on for the whole game and all of the off-ball decisions. It's not just you know, did they switch or did they stay? And should we have slipped it or stuck the pick? I mean, it's like literally every element of the game occurs. But the key is you have to have context. You just hit the nail on the head. I mean, you've got to provide a game context in order to make these decisions worthwhile, right? Because you can you can provide a decision-making um, environment that, like you said, just kind of starts and ends. Um, based off of one particular thing, whether that's, uh, you know, or an inside role or a rocker, or you can provide constraints uh, within a certain environment that can give you all these decisions. And I, I look at decisions as skills. Decisions are skills. It's not, um, skills are not uh, necessarily like the moves or the things that you do with your stick. It's the ability to like mesh together these great timely decisions or not good ones and then make the next one be a good one um, with what you're doing with your stick and what you're doing creatively. I think people look at, at skills, this, this terminology of skills as like um, how can you control your stick really? Um, yeah. But I, I think, you know, to be really a really, really skilled player um, you're, it's so much deeper than that. It's it's the ability to mesh together what you do with your stick, how you control your defender on offense, um, how you influence your defender off ball, um, and then with the reads and the decisions that you make. Some will be right, some will be wrong. Um, you know, and, and that's the game, right? It, we're yeah. not going to make the right decision every single time. But how do you roll from the from maybe the first of all? Let me let me stop myself because it, here we we say that there's never a wrong decision. I think that that should be something that I I, I make sure I say, um, you know, whatever you saw in 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 my eyes, whatever you saw in the moment um, of the decision you made, and whatever whatever um, that was, was the right one for that moment. Um, now retroactively, can you look back and say was there a better one? Absolutely. There might be better decisions to be made, but I don't necessarily think that there's wrong decisions. So if you made a less, a lesser decision in one moment, how can you roll off and make the next one be a better one for yourself and for your teammates? So, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Some people, um, Alex Sarama from basketball immersion, I always reference him really smart guy, but he, he defines skill as technique plus decision. And I think that what, what so many people have done is they've just, they've just separated out the technique and work on the technique ad nauseum, but it's the decision as to when to use it, how to set it up, all these things. Back to the um, no wrong decisions. You know, it's interesting because really um, 
it's 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 you can retroactively say it might have been the, the the wrong read you know what i mean like if you didn't read that they were you know Absolutely. and you thought they were staying and you made a decision based on what you thought you know and that's where that's where the film really really helps um but yeah when you practice the way you're practicing the creativity everyone talks about i want creativity and what does it even mean how do you do that you, you know you don't do cre you can't build creativity with partner passing and try to do creative passing because again, there's no context. The creativity emerges. The skills emerge from the context or from the situation. Um, and so, you know, I remember going and checking out ASU practices and just watching these girls out on a lot of different cages using, you know, sm oftentimes small numbers and smaller cages and literally just playing in these situations. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and then how you build that into what your sort of offensive brand is going to look like? Yeah, for sure. Um, so a couple, a couple things, uh, just to kind of touch on the creativity piece, the question that I always think about and, and, and ask when people are, are striving for creativity, how many low stakes environments do you have in your practice setting? I mean, that's a simple question to ask yourself, right? Because um, if you're constantly playing uh, in all, and, and it's kind of like to the model that you talk about on this all the time, that the free play model, right? Free play model is a very low stakes environment, right? And that, what does that do? That breeds creativity. It allows players to, to, to try new things, to uh, think outside the box. Um, and to your point, this everything emerges from there. And, and we may, we may, as the coaches even find new solutions to things because of that. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't tell you the amount of times last year, the environments you're talking about, I'd go back and watch, watch and be like, wow, we can, we can do that. Never would I have ever thought about that, but we let, we created a low sex environment. We allowed them to be free and make the decisions and be creative. We encouraged it. And we learned like uh, we were able to, to take things and, and use them and talk people through like, hey, this could be something that we can actually utilize. So speaking about, um, you know, creating some of those, I think first thing you want to you want to um, understand in that is that in order to scale your ability to make all these decisions, you need to have every player playing the game. Right. So that's kind of where it starts. Um, that's where you're talking about having all these boxes set up um, and every player live, maybe one per box sub. Um, but that, that's kind of the starting point. Now, the, when you accumulate the decisions being made in each box by each individual, that number is outrageously high, right, right there. So in 10 minutes of, uh, let's call it a three-on-three -three game, in a little – 12 by 12 or 15 by 15 box um you and you got six of those going just do the math like that that's a lot of reads that's a lot of decisions that's a lot of creativity it's a lot of ability to just kind of go and, and play um so the way that we play is um a couple of things that we prioritize in those environments i'll start with the three on three game because the three on three game is, is a good, is a really, really good starting point. You, it, it's not the only one there. There's a bunch of things you can do. Um, but I, I'm a, I'm a believer that this is not a linear journey. Like you, you can't stack, um, 
it's not like you're building a foundation and stacking upon it. Um, you, you actually can create a complex, um, you know, a complex practice environment that, that people will be able to learn in. Um, this is one of those instances. So if you, if you were to think about what we're really trying to do, which is very simple, um, on offense, we're going to try to just create high quality shots. That's like the main purpose of what we are attempting to do. Now, high quality shots, we have defined as our stick is upfield. Um, to the middle. And you, you stick to the, the middle. middle. Yes. Um, yep, stick to the middle. And, um, you know, so everybody knows what that looks like. Now, if you want a high quality shot to become even more high quality shot, you make it an assisted one. Um, so, you know, cause now not only do you have, uh, your stick to the middle, but you have the goalie not in position and moving, uh, as well. So those are kind of like the, the basic things that our team knows that they're trying to get. Um, and we will, uh, we will value those things. So if you generate a high quality shot, we'll actually award a point for something like that. If you score a goal on a high quality shot, you'll get two points for that. Um, so, you, you know, we will kind of um, create little constraints around the, the score that pulls out, um, you know, things that, that we want and that we're encouraging our, our athletes to, to figure out or to, to do. So um, the three-on-three game, it, 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 it's done a little bit differently than some. Um, so typically I use two yards per player for your box size. Um, but when you're first starting out, you might want to bump that out. So if it's six players, it's about 12 by 12. Initially, we, we need that box to be a little bit bigger and eventually you can kind of get into that space. But so to start it, we'll probably go 15 by 15. And um, we actually offset our goal. Um, and I think that's, that's important. Uh, if you're playing the way that we play, that's important. Um, so we'll take the cage and instead of putting a dead center of that 15 by 15, we'll kind of offset it to the left or to the right, um, to allow for your cutters and for your ball handlers to actually generate high quality shots. If you can imagine that cage being at the dead center, um, pretty much every shot you generate is going to become a low quality shot because your stick's going to drift from the stick to the middle to the outside. Um, so that's that's one um, that we'll do. I mean, we'll play that game and we'll add a feeder in to kind of simulate the off ball side. Um, you, you know, we 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 play um, we play six on six uh, a decent amount. We play keep away ton of different variations of keep away, whether that's five on five. Um, four on three. Uh, and, and within each one of these, um, the constraints that you, you know, brought up before are, are kind of toyed around with. Um, so we can, you know, we can manipulate the space. We can put a cage in there, in that box, in a different location, just maybe in the top corner, we'll just throw a cage in. Um, we can make the space, you know, really short and wide, um, you know, to, to provide different different looks or different things uh, to emerge. So, you know, it, it's, and if you can imagine those games being played for, you know, 12 minutes, um, again, to go back to the fact that now every player is, is doing them. Um, you're valuing 
the things that you that you really hold strongly um, within your system, and then you're allowing them to actually play free and 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 actually mess up. To be honest with you, and have a low stakes environment um, while they're competing. There is a score system, and you can go up a field or down a field. And you know, we always kept competition at the forefront, uh, and we still do. And um, you know, you you could just see how when when you create those kind of environments, the the, the ability to read goes up and then fl- look at the flip side too. How many defensive reps are you getting as well? We're emphasizing all of our D stuff there as well. Yeah. D- D's got value points too. They can get eight meter ground balls that are worth two points. You can make saves worth a point. You can make getting somebody to go down the alley worth a point, whatever, whatever you value in your system, you can just layer as some sort of constraint within your point system, or you can make a constraint that make that encourages it to happen right. And pull it out of them that way. But, um, you know, that is a, that is a, about a half hour to 40 minutes of our practice each and every day that, you know, we, we allow them to explore, to be creative and, you know, make decisions, reads and and make plays. So cool. You guys, um, you guys have so many different pick actions going on. If anybody if anybody wants to learn, go back and watch some ASU film from last year because it it's phenomenal. And honestly, if you want to try to like identify all the pick actions, because there are at least two, if not three sets of actions occurring simultaneously, it, it, it like literally will take you like 10 minutes to get through one possession. You guys have up picks and down picks and up pick nations and down pick nations and, and swing picks and seals and, you know, like Spain looks, you know, every single conceivable action. Um, how do you get the girls picking in this many different ways? How do you, how do you sort of teach this stuff? What's your sort of basic progression on that? Well, um, let's go back to the three on three environment um, for us. And, and this isn't necessarily going to be the same for every Every, I think that no matter what you're doing offensively or defensively, the, the, these little environments, you can just create your own thing. So it, let me start by saying if, if you're a team that does value an alley dodge, you can ha- have that be your trigger in the three on three and, and get a lot of value out of that because you'll make a lot of those. For us, we didn't. We did exactly what you said. So the way that we got them to do that was we would just use our our trigger would be any of what you just said, right? So we'd say three on three, okay, the triggers are gonna start with an up pick. Um, trigger being, how do we initiate the, the, the game, right? Uh, it's gotta start from an up pick. So now you got three spaced out, you got a girl up high, an elbow and a low. The elbow will come send an up pick for, for the high girl. And now we're playing, now we're, we're making reads. That's, that's one way to do it. Um, you can, you can trigger off a ram. So you can say, okay, let's get an off ball pick before an on ball pick. And now you start to see them kind of working within that. Um, you can do a pass down, pick down trigger. You can skip it through, um, you know, so we're kind of just providing, and then, you know, maybe you do a minute of each one of those and then you tell them, all right, we got eight more minutes. You choose trigger however you'd like. Um, and then I think, from there, you start to um, see players naturally 
realizing that this is actually the easiest way that I've ever played this game <laughs> for yeah. a really long time. I've had to work so hard and not that we don't work hard. I, I mean, we just, we keep things simple, right? So yeah. um, they've had to work so hard to, to, to produce a shot even, um, let alone get a goal or get a high quality one that when you start to like feel and, and realize how simple it is to actually get these shots up, um, the girls naturally take ownership. Um, and that's, you know, we, we were very, very um, high on, on ownership as a group, you know, uh, as part of kind of our overarching philosophy where, you know, we said, Hey, we're going to like help give you some guardrails or provide you some, some, some good environments to learn out of, uh, but you've got to take it and own it. And, and when they did, um, which they did really, really quickly, uh, we are currently going through that right now at Hopkins and we're seeing, I mean, we're on practice six and we're seeing some ownership being taken. Um, and, and we're seeing a lot, a lot of that stuff that you just mentioned, they're just kind of naturally now picking on their own. We don't even have to tell them a trigger, but it's happening. Um, you know, so it, it's it's really kind of about a combination of those things. I think starting with like some constraints around your triggers gets them going um, and then allowing them to just do it and realize, wow, I've never produced a shot more simply than I just did. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because when you talk about why it's so easy, the easiest way we've ever played and it's. It's because, you know, you talk about your offense, like our goal is to create great shots. And those shots are coming from the advantages you can create. And the way most people try to create their advantages is one-on-one, one-on-one through dodges or one-on-one through cuts. But when you start to use pick actions and you can create a two-on-one off of a pick action more easily than in a one-on-one because if one person switches and one person stays there's two-on-one but you can also create these amazing sort of positional advantages where you might not have gotten a pure two-on-one but you have such a great step because the defense hedged a little bit or because there was you know, a positional advantage of just like they went under the pick and you all of a sudden are wide open in the middle, even though it wasn't purely two-on-one. Can you talk a little bit about how you talk to your team about creating these advantages of these two-on-ones? Absolutely. I think, yeah, to start, um, we kind of boil our offense down into three simple things. And the first one is create an advantage. Second one is make a read. And the third one is make a play. And um, it's a constant loop. It's a constant cycle with those three things just happening over and over and over and over again. Um, And it's back to like the decision-making comment that you made before um, that, you know, the more it happens and the more you do it, the, you know, and, and the more you kind of work on it or get play in these environments, the more that you'll be able to make, you know, the better one. Um, So starting by the creating the advantage, I think um, the first thing is, is can, I think the simplest way to look at it is how much control over your defender do you have? Okay. Um, That's with the ball on your stick, but it's also off ball. Um, Are you truly controlling your defender? Uh, You can do, you don't have, you don't have to do that by moving fast. And I think that's the difference, right? That's um, people try to control their defender with like 
heavy jab steps and sprints um, on cuts or, um, you know, a pitter patter to like a split dodge, you're trying to like gain some control over their defender. But, I, you know, you can gain control over your defender just simply by, you know, squaring them up and, and kind of backing them off of you with the ball on your stick or even squaring, squaring up off ball. Um, you know, if you get into that, that posture where you got your, you know, your square up position, your sticks down low, um, the now think about being in that and your defender's kind of looking at you and you just pull your stick up as if you're going to, you know, catch a ball. If you just stood there and had a defender on you and did that movement, you'd have more control over your defender um, than you ever have probably in your career. Uh, and when, when players start to realize the subtleties of the, that kind of control um, that they can have on their defender, both on and off ball, it, it then lends itself to the next phase, which is now can we influence those defenders to do what we want them to do? So now you've got them under control with this posture and you're, you're using some change of speed. You're using some change of height um, by going to square up to upright to square up. Um, and you're, you, you've got them moving with you. Um, now you, you layer in the picks uh, that, that we're discussing. And that's, that's where we create our advantages. We don't try to create any advantages off the step or as little as, as little as we can. Again, we want to just keep it simple. Sometimes a poor approach happens and you can beat somebody with it, with a step. Um, yeah. but for the most part, our advantages are created by, um, two man game picks. So if, you know, you've got your defender controlled and now you layer a pick in, now there's a whole, new uh approach to create this advantage and that's how do we influence our defender to do what we want them to do so you can you truly can make a defender um for for a lot of these young women's careers they've been told that when you use a pick brush the shoulder go full speed run off of it um which has it's ups, but um doesn't really provide you with with much of an advantage a lot a lot of times you're just making it easy for the defense. The defense simply in that case, typically is just going to switch. Now, if you wanted them to switch, if, if that's the solution you wanted to provide them, that's it. That's awesome. You've just influenced the defense. But if you were trying to do something else and what, what did we, what advantage did we create there? Um, so if you actually truly control your defender, slow yourself down, um, and then begin to work with these picks and influence them. Let's say you want to make them come over the pick with you and you slowly creep them over or you flash your stick up um, like you want to receive a pass and then carry them and bring them over the pick. You start to create all sorts of advantages like you like you were mentioning before. Some of them are like clear as day. Maybe you put a girl in a trail position off of that and you're walking in. Yep. wide open um but some of them are, are a little bit more subtle where you got like kind of two tied up for a half a second but the picker can can slip themselves open um so i i think uh when you're looking at how to create those advantages or what what we're trying to what we personally teach when we're talking about creating advantages it, it's it's about it's really about those two things can we first of all can we control our defender can we get this posture? Can we slow ourselves down enough that we have full control over her? 
Second, let's get a pick in there. And now let's see if we can influence them. If we want them to come over it with us, can we make them do that? If we want them to get under or switch it, can we make them do that? If you can get those two things, you get you can get every advantage every time. We, yeah. We've talked if about you can it. Read it. Yeah, if totally. You, if you can read it. Listeners, think of basketball. Think about the way people play in basketball and the way they attack and the way they slow down and jab and wait for a pick to come under control. You, I always call it spaz basketball when, when people just like sprint in and start dribbling and they're just like, like where are you going, man? And, and, you know, so, you know, if you think about basketball players, this is how you are playing offense with the ball. It's dodging more like a basketball player uh, than dodging like, you know, what I would say, more like a football player. I mean, in lacrosse, people dodge like a football player, take a, you know, either a punt return or, or, or like taking a handoff and just running as fast as they can and plowing through. There's a time and place for that. But, but it doesn't really help you figure out how to get this advantage. And the advantage is, are they comes from, are they switching or staying? And if you can figure that out, that's the coverage solution that you can come up with. You can get two on you. Like you said, you can bring them over the top if they're pushing out and not switching. You can hesitate in the middle. What I see most people do is they actually switch for the defense. That's if you right. look shoulder to shoulder, they actually do the switch. The defense stands there. They don't do anything. The offense actually switches by running into the switcher and the picker runs into the on-ball defender. Um, now, I want to change gears here for a sec because, you know, in watching your development, you know, we were friends when you were at Northwestern and got a chance to watch you play in, in your uh, inaugural shortened season of uh, 2020 and then 2021 and then 2022. Um I would say one of the most monumental improvements that you made from 20 to 21 was ball movement. Mm -hmm. Had the actions going on in 2020, but you guys didn't really move the ball. How did you integrate that? Because that's one of the biggest keys, right? I mean, getting that ball moving. Great. So accurate. Um, quite honestly, Jamie, we, we didn't know. <laughs> like, we hadn't begun gun to to really explore I, you know i think it was simply put it was this um the offense in 2020 revolved around the person with the ball solely the offense in 2021 revolved around the six people without the ball and it's really that simple and the the way that we did it was just emphasis um we just put an emphasis on that ball movement. We did it in many, many ways. Um, one was simply just kind of say it, you know, the other one was to provide value to, 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 to passes, keep away environments. You can provide value to passes and you give them a minute and you say, set picks for the ball, set picks off ball and move the ball. Um, we had one environment that very simply, it was a five on five, it was a rectangle, probably uh, 18 yards wide by like nine yards tall. And it was from X. Uh, basically, the, the front of the cage had about four yards in front. And we played five on five. And we would just say, move the ball to the open player and pick for the ball. And that was it. Move it to the open player, pick for the ball. Move it to the open player and pick for the ball. And that those environments just pulled out this uh, unbelievable ability to move the ball. Um, you know, and I, I say to people all the time, I've said it to every, every recruit I've gotten on the phone with, um, you know, two things that we will, uh, absolutely lead the nation in 
um, if these stats were taken, were, would be um, tut, ball movement, uh, passes per possession, absolutely. Um, meaningful passes, not just like get it around the horn, meaningful passes per possession and picks per possession. You know, those were, those were two uh, stats that I believe. Um, and if you, if you just do that math, that's going to lend itself to a pretty high ratio of assisted goals as well. Yeah. Um, when you play like that. So um, I think that the, the progression scene from 2020 to 2021 was a lot more to do with the fact that, we were emphasizing prioritizing the, the player with the ball. Um, and then come the 2021, 20, uh, we, we began to put the emphasis on actually the six other players more than just the ball carrier. Yeah, I think I was having the same learning curve as you actually, <laughs> because it was the summer of 2020 when we were in our Narragansett bubble playing pickup lacrosse with boys and girls that I really began to truly understand the value of moving the ball in the middle of two man games that were occurring simultaneously. And instead of looking to feed pick and rolls, yep. look to move the ball and that pick and roll, if it's there, it's still going to be there and the third player will pass it. But meanwhile, you've just turned your off ball two man game into an on ball two man game. And we watched a lot of that film, didn't we? Absolutely. Tons watch watch tons of that learn from those environments um man i mean if you can make off ball two men into on ball two men um there's not a harder thing for a defense to to communicate through uh, nothing uh, and if you can then do it and then get do it so now it's just a constant cycle right your your on ball is becoming your off ball two man game and it's it's yeah. then you swing it back and it's again um it's, it's really, really hard for defenses to keep up with that. Um, essentially, what it becomes is you're just playing a game of keep away. You're moving it to the open player, picking for the ball. And then off ball, you're picking uh, off ball as well. And you're just playing a game of keep away with those things in mind until you get in front of the cage to finish it. Yeah, I mean, That's like as simple as, as you can um, kind of mock it up. I mean, there's some spacing things and some, some other things that, that go into it, but you know, that, that, that is almost what it became, yeah. uh, you know, to, you know, it's pretty cool. And, and then you, you layer in the fact that like, you're going to miss some. So uh, yeah, a lot. You're gonna miss, you, you, yeah. You're going to miss some, you know, and, and how are you handling your missed, uh, your missed cuts? It's like, okay, we're going to, let's just get another one. You know what I mean? Like you can, you can get, I think there was one time last year in one possession, we had like seven open cuts. And we finally scored on probably like the eighth one. And typically like the, the psychology of an open cut that doesn't get hit is like very, you know, your head goes down. You're kind of like, oh man. Um, but if it's, if it's not that, and it's more of like, okay, Hey, if we get it, if we keep getting these, like we're going to produce something, um, you know, it keeps people engaged. It keeps people wanting to, to get to those. And, you know, I think, it's, it's all part of it and it all kind of works hand in glove. Totally. It's, it's so interesting too, because, you know, basically the, your system that has the, you know, as you would say, uh, ideally the most passes and picks in the country per possession. I, I just want you to think about this for the people listening. Let's just say in five seconds, you're going to have two to three actions going on every five seconds. 
So let's yes. just let's just say if it was two, then in 30 seconds, that would be 12 actions. And if it was three, it'd be 18. So let's just say you got 15 actions going on every 30 seconds. And that might be on the light side because you might even have three to four actions going on in that period of time. Let's just call it 18 actions of which we already know that you can create advantages at a higher rate through two-man game. Because if one person switches and one person stays, if you understand the coverage solutions of what they're doing, you can create these advantages. And then back to this whole model of the ball finds the action. So the ball's not always going to find you, but you're going to get open so many times. You're going to, you're going to be able to just keep playing, keep away until you find that action. And, and that's just the thing of beauty. I, I, I completely agree. And it's a, it's a lot of fun to watch. There was one point last year, just out of curiosity, not, not for any other reason than that. I decided that we would track a couple of our athletes um, touches and um, time with with the ball in stick, that was unbelievable. Um, we had a, the the two or three players that we tracked on it was like two seconds, um, and it, literally like average was like a two second with the ball on the stick, and each one of those players had like more than twenty goals. <laughs> yeah. So you know. It, and again, that was total curiosity. I, I don't necessarily know if you need to do that to get to, you don't necessarily need to do that to get goals, but it was really interesting uh, for us to see that and to just see like, you don't, you don't need to handle the rock for, you know, 10 seconds at, at a touch to, to, to actually produce, you know, and um, not only did they have 20 goals, they, they had an equal amount of assists, you know, so it was, it was very mutual on that. So that was a cool, that was a, cool little uh analytic uh number that we ran that is cool um you know touching on last year that team was brilliant so much fun to watch it, it, i want to talk a little bit about what you learned on how to how to really go from good to great last year um but before we do just so the listeners know you know you guys had a top 10 win you had a top 20 win you guys beat stanford usc Rutgers. Colorado twice that team got snubbed we're not going to spend a lot of time on that um, everybody talked about the snubs in men's lacrosse this is like maybe the worst snub I've ever seen because there was like three teams that went to that tournament that literally had like RP uh, that, that had one top 20 win between the three teams including the team you inherited and um, I, I'm just putting it out there so that people know that this system works and um and, 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 you know, th that team just deserves this, this, this note, you know, front in this podcast. Yeah. I, you know, listen, really, really special group of young women. Um, the, uh, the leadership that they uh, showed, the ownership that they took in that team, in that system, in that brand, um, you know, the ability to uh, adapt, grow, you know, take a journey and, and take a chance. I, 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 I'm, I texted the seniors um, after the season, a couple of weeks later, and I said to them, when we started and, and I kind of started to do some of this stuff, I had no idea if this would work. I was kind of willing to fail on it. Um, you know, and by this, I mean, like 
everything, keeping it fun, you know, prioritizing the things I mentioned in the beginning that we prioritize, um, this, the actual system, the, the, the play, both D and O, uh, everything. Um, I had no idea. I knew it was very, very different. Um, I took a collection of things I loved about the game personally and drew me to continue to want to play and, and be a part of it and um, let that kind of drive uh, the way that we were going to do things. And there was no recipe at all. It was just like, let's try it. And so I say that to say it takes a special group to, to, to go on that journey with you <coughs> and not <clears> – <throat> question it or you know going a different path but stay true and and believe and yeah yeah yeah, totally take ownership of of it and um it was really really special so it was i mean um listen there's there was not a team that i enjoyed watching play this sport of lacrosse maybe ever than the 2022 asu lacrosse team now there were some you know it wasn't like it was all easy. You guys, you guys, you know, sometimes looked incredible and then sometimes, you know, struggled, uh-huh. I would say, with sort of decision making. And this is and I'm talking about decision making based on winning games. So let's talk a little bit about the the way that you were able to kind of transform your program from this every decision is a good decision development, low stakes model of allowing your players to grow and be creative, but then starting to turn that into, um, Hey, we're actually trying to win this game here. And what was, how did that happen? Well said. Um, and what an unbelievable learning experience, uh, for myself, because you're a hundred percent right. There was, there was some, you know, we had some struggles early in that season last year and the thing could have easily went one way or another. Um, but I took a ton of ownership in front of the team and, and basically told them that, you know, the reason that we're putting ourselves in the position we're putting ourselves in is probably because of this environment to a certain extent. So I basically said to them, Hey, listen, um, we're still going to have a couple of low stakes environments in which we can, you know, make reads, make just kind of play, but we've got to be aware of a few things that have actually really, really um, hurt us. And it's on me. It's not on you. This is, this is a product of what we've set out to do here. Um, Now off the bat, I, I, my hope was the hope was that it would take the, um, the, that, feeling of weight off of them, uh, you know, and and place it elsewhere and them to say, Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) It's not us guys. That was a a big, a big part of that. Um, Secondly, it was learning. Um, I mean, probably most importantly, you need guardrails set um, in order to put yourself in a position to win this game. Um, You know, and, and we had had no guardrails. It was, uh, you know, yeah, to your point, I mean, we were slinging balls around uh, and we were making decisions that just, you know, weren't helping us, uh, whether that's getting a yellow card on attack um, on the attacking side of the field with like, uh, you know, in the corner on a ride um, or 
getting two yellow cards as a defender um, or uh, turnovers, just hawking balls around that, did, you know, that didn't help us. So we right around, we were kind of looking at uh, a, a pretty solid stretch, um, you know, that we were going into uh, of teams and we switched this, we switched this up. We basically came, came out and told them like, we're going to like, we're going to button up some of these environments guys. And they were excited for it. They, yeah. they again, took ownership in it and they believed in it and they understood quite honestly, I think a lot of them were probably like, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, and we did that. And again, back to like points of emphasis. Now you're emphasizing like, okay, let's not, let's, let's limit our turnovers. Let's not get yellow cards in the corner, 65 yards away from the, the, you know, our cage. Um, if you get a yellow on D let's not get two. you know, like let's, let's buckle down a little bit. And the results started to follow. Uh, I think shortly after that, um, after that conversation, we went out to the East Coast. We had we dropped to Stony Brook on the first day, and then we beat a really good, really good Rutgers team the next, the next uh, I believe that was a Sunday, and um, it was like kind of like a weight off the team shoulders. Now we all knew we could. It wasn't like uh, it wasn't, yeah. you know, there was no questioning whether we could do it. Um, but I think it solidified everything that we had just talked about that week of. Hey, these things are matter, and they're going to going to matter for us. And let's prioritize them, and 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 let's see what happens here. And and um, that Sunday, you know, really, really did it for them. And then and then you're just kind of playing on house money a little bit. Then it's kind of a confidence thing, and it's it it just kind of fulfills itself a little bit. Totally. I mean, look, the brilliance of the way you guys played at times allowed you to just put up twenty goals on good teams, but but you also you know, could have 10 goal leads twice, you know, you had two 10 goal leads to Stanford in 2021 and, and, and law, including in the second half. And it's basically, honestly, you know, everybody talks about limiting turnovers, but, but honestly, I, I feel like what it really had to do with was possession. Yeah. It, it was less about limit turnovers because nobody wants turnovers, but everybody, but, but, but the one thing you probably emphasize more was guys, we're going to score, you know, early on, you, your, your idea was we're going to be a fast breaking transition team. And then I think you found out through the analytics that you actually scored at a pretty darn high clip on all even. So why not have the ball for 60 seconds instead of 10 seconds where you're going to get almost the same shot? Yeah. As a matter of fact, we dove into that after 2021. I, I want to say our numbers were something like um, uh transition shots were around 40% and all even shots were closer to like 48. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a hefty jump. So yeah, we, we did, we, we, we certainly um, realized that, you know, that's, you don't need to take the first good one. There's going to be plenty of them there. Um, and yeah, then especially with 30, especially with like 18 actions every 30 seconds. Right. No question about it. Um and then that's where like kind of that whole philosophy that I brought up before kind of came about, which is like play keep away until you get up in front of the cage, <laughs> you know, like let's just simplify what we're doing. And, and um, that when that came about, it was really, really um, it was, it was huge, you know, and that was, that was certainly, that was certainly a part of it for sure. Yeah. Well, it was, it was really fun to watch you guys grow and that's what teams do. You know, on the one hand, I would say you, you did, a, a, a absolutely magical job in developing 
players. I mean, you guys were skilled, like so skilled by the definition of decisions plus techniques. And I mean, so many unbelievable plays. Um, and I think that your low stakes, you know, no bad decisions environment created that. And then you had to sort of figure out a way to say, well, well, guys, to win games, the decisions are going to matter sometimes. And we're going to have to like take care of the ball and we're going to get our shots deeper into possessions. And there's probably no better possession than scoring at the end of a shot clock. Yep. 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 Uh, that was, was big. Uh, another one that really helped was prioritizing kind of our feeding angles um, you know, we, we started to kind of get the ball low a little bit more to, to, to generate feed, uh, quality feeds. Yeah. Um, that was one that helped. And, and by getting it low, you actually take an extra second or two each time as well. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't just like, get it across and get it in. It was get it across, kind of get it low. There's another three seconds that happened. Okay. That's not there. You know, it all kind of came together to, to equate to, some longer possessions and being okay with that. And then, you know, game management too, like went, went along with this. Like we started to realize like, you know, is, is this, are we at the point in time that this is a one possession, uh, one shot possession. Right. And, and, and the team started to kind of realize like late in games, like, you know, yeah, maybe you do, maybe you do get this thing down to, to 10 and go for it, you know, or, or, or 20 and really start, um, so yeah, all of those things, that was, that was a great learning curve. And again, yeah. um, to, to, to jump, it's the, it's the, it was the girls in the locker room really. Right. Because we had done what we had done for so long. And then all of a sudden like mid season to, to make, to be able to just take it and go and do it was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. They were ready. I mean, at the bottom line is they, they were really good and smart players. And then they were able to apply that to winning games. I, I think that the problem that most coaches run into is they, they go into the game management in the reductionist model of safe, 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 safe from the outset. Correct. And then, and then nobody has the ability to be brilliant. And so you kind of went the opposite way, which I think is the exact way you want to do it. Um, and then dial it down a little bit, dial it in with like, Hey, we're, why are we even doing this? Right. We're doing this to try to win games. And um, this is how we're going to do it. Um, to finish off the podcast, um, I, I do want to say before we move into this recruiting piece, we're not, we don't have time to talk about defense, but man, the way you guys played defense, the toughness, the team defense, the athletes, the goaltending over the last several years, actually, um, was just a, a thing of beauty. I just wanted to note that uh, you can acknowledge it, uh, but I want to Absolutely. Tough, tough group of, uh, of young women on that end played as a true unit. Um, you know, and, and really, really took pride in kind of the little things that we were trying to get them to do, give up some, you know, be okay to give up low quality shots, understand that we, we had some good goalies in cage, um, come up with the ground balls when they went on the floor. So yeah, that unit, uh, another, another spot, um, you know, for our team that if you looked at from year to year was just insanely steep on their growth. Yeah. So great. Um, yeah, it's a shame we didn't get to see them play in the NCAA tournament. I believe they would have won games. Um, but um, let's talk a little bit about recruiting. Um, so now you're at Johns Hopkins, one of the finest academic institutions in the world, and uh, incredible lacrosse tradition, incredible lacrosse facilities. Um, 
first of all, how excited are you to uh, to be there and to be, you know, getting a chance to get a crack at the best players in the country? It's amazing. Um, it, it's amazing. The support is absolutely second to none uh, from not only our administration here, but uh, all the alumni that's men's and women's, they want to see this thing succeed. Um, you know, we play on one of the most historic fields, the most historic field in our sport. That's so exciting to get to go do that every single day of practice. Um, you know, and, and as you said, academically, um, you know, what we do is this job is, is really about kind of, it's, it's fun because we get to compete and we get to kind of like be in the weeds and, and have fun and, and, and do that stuff. But it's really about setting up for like the next phase of life, uh, for these young women and, you know, to be at the number seven school in the country, uh, with a network like Hopkins and like Hopkins lacrosse network, um, to provide, uh, you know, these, these young women with those opportunities, it, that, that's very special and very, very exciting. Um, and it's been a lot of fun to kind of have that, you know, as we recruit, but also talk to our current athletes about how lucky they are to have it as well. Um, so we talked a lot about offense and we talked about how you play and how you develop people and, you know, that the, the nature of team play, really, it's team play. But I would say that it's not that easy to find team play when you're out there recruiting because there's so much give the ball to the best player and get out of the way. How are you figuring out who has both the aptitude for picking and passing and moving without the ball and as well as who has the attitude? It's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think that you, you have to be – um, very diligent with your ability to watch um, the athletes play, uh, you know, and what I mean by that is it's, it's borderline impossible to watch a half um, to see that stuff because in one particular half of a game um, that you happen to just stumble upon live, a kid really, really seems to get it. You can watch, uh, another two games and be like, they don't, um, you know, for whatever reason, uh, whether that it could be a, a bunch of different things, but uh, it's, it's really just being diligent in, 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 you know, how often and how many touch points you get. Um, if you get to get athletes out at camps, mm -hmm. huge, huge, right? Because that gives us the ability, especially in what we're doing to create this environment over whether it's three or six hours, um, and see them make these decisions, make these reads, put them, put them out there. Um, those are, that's probably the best way to do it. Um, and then, you know, I, I put a lot of value on the player. That's just okay to kind of, it sounds really small, but, um, uh, the player that's okay to catch the ball, kind of assess a quick situation and then move it, um, I put a lot of value on that. Now, if you're a player that catches the ball, moves it and kind of looks to backdoor even more. Um, again, it sounds really small, but not many players are looking to give and go. Um, and if you even remotely have that uh, in your mind, 
it's, it's going to be able to translate to some extent. Um, you know, once you start to do some of this stuff, it just shows you're able to read that you don't have anything. I'm going to move it to my teammate and then I'm going to try to get open on a cut. You're, you're kind of doing the stuff without even really knowing that you're doing it. Um, the, the, the picking side of this, um, you know, that that's an, an interesting one because you're, you know, you could potentially be very limited on the amount that you can pick because you're on a certain team and to each their own on that front, right? If your team is not one that promotes it, um, you're just not going to set as many. So I don't tend, if a kid is naturally going and setting picks for their teammates and I can watch them engaging their, their teammate, it's going to draw my eye for sure, um, without question. But I also um, can't create a bias around that because I, I we understand that there are teams out there that will say, don't pick, you know, just clear through instead. And, um, you know, so we got to kind of get a little bit savvier on what we're looking for um, than, than actually someone going out and setting picks. Yeah. But that said, it'd be a lot easier to recruit people that you could actually know that they know how to do it. That's exactly right. I mean, without a question. And, you know, people, everybody picks off ball. Or I would say everybody allows it. <laughs> it's the on-ball picks where people think that they're you're bringing a double to the to the ball, um, w- which you know actually is the whole point. You're 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 subtracting defenders from the team defense, and you are creating a better chance to get a two-on-one with that exact double team you're talking about. That's really the whole point. And they won't actually double it most of the time. And when they do, you'll 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 be able to punish them for that too. But uh, but part of it is how do you figure out. So, so clearly, if there's girls that absolutely know how to do it, that's going to be an advantage. Um, there's a baseline of athleticism you need, but you're going to want to see that, right? Yeah, without question. Um, you know, if if if, if there's if there are girls out there that know how to do this stuff, that actually, um, you know, play in environments that we're talking about, like those are absolutely things that we're gonna that we're gonna want to see. Um, you know, for us, because if, if you could be 10 steps or five steps ahead, um, within this, and if you're playing this, you're going to get smarter and you're going to get better. Um, whether you go and play in this exact system or not, like if you're doing this stuff in your yard or with, you know, your friends or whatever, um, you're actually going to become a better player, no matter what system you get to. So I think that that's important to know too, but yeah, I mean, if we can get a jump start on somebody that kind of knows what they're doing, it, it's helpful without yeah, a doubt. For sure. Well, and also because you know how it goes, some of the people you think would play for you don't. And some of the people you think would never play for you, not only play for you, but they play really, really well and they become pivotal. And so it's, it's because there is both an attitude and an aptitude for being able to play like this. It's truly the ultimate team play and the the ultimate in decision-making is what you're prioritizing. Um, The decisions of, should I pick? Should I seal? Should I slip? How are they playing? Are they, how are they playing the ball? Should I move the ball? The attitude is some people just don't want to move the ball. They literally just can't move it. They simply can't seem to move the ball. Everybody can physically make a pass. Some people just won't. And then there's the, the aptitude of really being able to read stuff and process. Completely agree. Um, I think sometimes it's easier to, to, to find people that we know probably wouldn't be. Um, yeah. 
You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's the process of elimination is, is probably more so done on like, and not, and, and it's fine. I mean, that player may thrive in some other environment. I, I don't, I, I, that I'm not here to kind of predict, but yeah. I could, I could pretty much make a good judgment on they're going to have a tough time being okay to move the ball, being okay to control their defender or influence their defender. Um, you know, versus like that kid's going to be excellent in it. You know, very rarely do you see a kid, you know, it has to be the right team or the right kind of context for us to be like, they got it. Like they're going to do it. If it's not, we're taking, you know, we're taking people that we just know are kind of okay and good to move the ball. Um, and, you know, looking to like get their teammates open selfless type of players, you know, and then, and then from that, from that little sample size or selection, it's, you know, there's more, there's more things that go into it from there, but I think the easier way is to just kind of say, you know, these people are going to struggle. They may go kill it in some other system and they probably will. Um, but it's just probably not going to be great in this one. Yeah. Well, Tim, it's, uh, it's been incredibly gratifying to watch your teams and, 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 and I can speak from, First-hand knowledge, having my, having had my daughter play for you, everything you're – this guy's real. Everything he's saying, he tries to do. There's not a more consistent, uh, genuine person than Tim McCormick. And uh, I think you're doing a great job, and I think you're going to uh, really lead the way in, 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 in playing the game in just an incredibly beautiful and team-oriented way. So uh, good luck at Hopkins, and thanks for coming on the show. Jamie, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. All right, man. Have a good one. All right.